Welcome everybody to Monday Night Live. I'm Derek Arden and today I've got Kurt Vincent from Philadelphia, uh, the USA with us and uh, Kurt's a cybersecurity expert. I'm going to read out his introduction because it is so impressive. A cybersecurity entrepreneur, founder and leader of Morgan Stanley's 400 person cybersecurity division for 15 years. Kurtz has served as Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for the Operations Command Center at Bank of America and Vice President of Development Operations Team at Goldman Sachs. Kurt is also a retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel. I had to ask him what that meant, and I'm sure he will explain it. It's pretty important. Who was recalled to active duty by name following 9-11 to be the Operations Officer of the Army's Global Worldwide Network and Security Operations Center. An adjunct professor at Mercy College who has five company startups under his belt. Kurt, welcome to uh, Monday Night Live. Absolute privilege to have you uh, join us. And uh, perhaps you can tell us how you got into this. I think you left school at 17 and suddenly found yourself in the Army. Yeah, that's 100% true. First of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. This is a great group of people. And having watched uh, others of your shows, uh, it's a very intelligent group. So I'm going to have to stay on top of my game. Um, you know, how I got into this was not by plan. The uh, story goes that I was a bit of a rebellious teenager. And uh, my father forced me to quit high school and join the army on my 17th birthday which actually turned out to be the very best thing that ever happened to me because I ended up in an environment wherever I did anything right, I got pat on the back and told, keep doing it. So uh, just to be able to fast forward, I ended up putting in um, seven years in the army, got uh, as a helicopter mechanic and a um, co-pilot, got out, went to engineering school and graduate school and then went back in as a very old 30-year-old uh, second lieutenant and started my career off again, and still was able to retire a lieutenant colonel, which um, as I was explaining when we were talking one time with Derek, that's that's um, five steps up from second lieutenant and two steps from general, but it's two huge steps from general. And so I'm just very happy to have made that. Now, the one thing I wanted to be able to answer when you said, how did I get into this? I stumbled into it. I didn't expect to get into it. And it's part of a story that would take a lot longer. Uh, and if you have any kind of experience with cybersecurity at all, it was not something that was by design. And by this, I mean, I've been involved in the internet since the internet is began using the current set of protocols that we're using today from the mid eighties. And what happened then is everybody was responsible for their own security. There was no sort of of organization that would uh, outlook. So the thing is, is that I continued to grow as a network engineer and began to be involved in the expansion of the internet and the uh, civilianization, if that's a word, of the internet. And when I got into Morgan Stanley in 1997, the CTO called me in his office and he said, you know, I think this internet thing's gonna be big. And while we laugh at that now, he was very, very sincere saying he thinks it was going to be big. And he says, I want you to start a um, cybersecurity group at the time, which we called information security. And so I went into it as a technologist. But the thing I really love to be able to explain to folks, and I hope we talk a little bit about it. One of the things I've learned in being a cybersecurity guy 
is that it's about the 360 view. And the big thing that is missing, and I feel is going to be the next and the final step within cybersecurity is actually looking at people. And that's something uh, we should talk about. So I hope that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. It's quite scary what you did, but then, um, so you were in the army. So were you in the army and then you went to uh, Morgan Stanley and then you got called back because of the Iraq war? Exactly right. Yes, I was in the army and I had uh, been part of the army computer engineering center. And then I was also with special forces with uh, Desert Storm and was deployed with special forces. Now I want to make it real clear. Uh, I was I was an augmentee. I was not one of the snake eaters, if you will. So I was just there in support as a technologist with mostly the intelligence systems. So because of this deployment and with the, my understanding of how the networks all tied in, I was called back by, for both the role as the operations officer for the, uh, the network operations, which included satellites, as well as the security aspects. And, and at some point, you, we, we actually need to be able to discuss the difference between civilian cybersecurity and military cybersecurity, because there's one big distinction that's different. So I'll let you ask me later. I'm going to ask you now. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> in the civilian sector, the name of the game is to keep bad people out at all times. And I don't care how they get in. And most people only think about cybersecurity from the standpoint of the networking, because you see this in movies and TV. It's I like to say that the guy with the hoodie sitting in Beirut, Lebanon, trying to blow up a dam in uh, India or something. Uh, that does happen. That's 100% true. But it's also the person that bought a... Uh, bought a uniform, a UPS uniform on eBay, which I checked this morning to make sure it's still viable. You can get a UPS uniform and you can waltz in and do all sorts of activities like taking pictures of people's passwords, which they stick on post-it notes on their monitors. So with that being said, the military does something different. The civilian sector, you stop everybody and that's it. In the military, I would work with the intelligence group and we would allow bad guys in to be able to see what's called their TTPs, their tactics and procedures and such, to be able to see what their capabilities are. You don't do that in the civilian sector. You just block them out. How dangerous is that though? Once you let them in, aren't they in? Yes and no. You, you've always got what I would call a kill switch and you can always cut them off at the point of access. And you've always got your finger on the uh, imaginary big red button but you're able to learn an awful lot. Okay, so um, I know you said I could ask you any question you like, but I'm feeling yes. a little bit guilty. I've got some questions I want to ask you about Desert Storm and what you were actually doing, because, you know, we sort of got the impression over here that uh, you were watching where uh, all the bad guys were. You could zoom in on them and actually you could take them out if you had to. Yes, uh, that's 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 a misnomer. Uh, one of the things that I that when I when I do public speaking on cybersecurity, I make it very very clear that there are certain characteristics uh, within cybersecurity that are very different than the real world, if you will. And I, I'm going to mention one first that I usually put at the end, but I might forget it, so I'll add it now. In the realm of cybersecurity, everybody spies on everybody. And I think that's a very, very important point. We would never 
in, in the past spy on any type of NATO type countries and things along these lines or developing countries. But it's just a statement of fact that everybody spies on everybody else. And it's kind of a different kind of a flavor to the entire environment. That's number one. Number two, I like to get into a talk uh, as part of my talks that my, the last paper I wrote for the military, which I was still in the reserves after being um, in the army for 20 years, I stayed in reserves an additional 16 years. And I was in command and general staff college. And the last paper I wrote, which was in the early 2000s, I wrote, what is a combatant? And one of the things that I made very, very clear is that you could have a person who is like a 70 year old guy in a, in a, in a bathrobe in Brooklyn and he's been contracted by the US government to take out a dam in Iran, which would then flood a military post down in the valley. So the question was, is this person considered a, a, a combatant? And if Iranian intelligence in this fictitious in, uh, story were to determine that this guy was going to do this and then put a sniper in an opposing apartment building in Brooklyn and took him out, was that legitimate? And my argument was it was 100% legitimate because that person, I don't care who he is, was trying to kill some of the enemy. So one of the things about cyber is it's not boots on, on the ground. You're actually able to do things remote. That's number one. Another difference is, is that with cybersecurity, you don't get any kind of a warning. Um, anybody, you know, I, I like to make this up and say you might see a whole bunch of people running across uh, a field and you can identify them by, by size and, and ethnic origin and what they're wearing and all of this. And you can see them climb a fence and you can see them coming towards you and you can call the police and say, this is what I observed. In, in cyber, you just get a knock, not even a knock at the door. They're standing next to you, so to speak, and you don't know who they are. You don't know who they are because you've got no way to be able to identify where they're coming from, et cetera. And I'll, I'll just cover a little bit about that right now. Nobody who's a perpetrator comes in from their original country. That was done in the early days. Now, th we, we discovered 20 years ago, we would see the Chinese coming in through Argentina and Portugal through proxy servers. And one of the differences within cyber is that you have to be able to learn what is called a signature. And this means the way the, I'm just gonna use the word, the way they dance and the way they behave and what they're doing. And you can say, aha, this is probably a, a Chinese as a, for instance. But then going a little bit deeper, you have to be able to determine, is that a Chinese military or is this just a patriot, a person who's very proud of being a smart Chinese person to be able to promote China and their, their intellect and their abilities. Uh, I know I just said a whole lot there. The whole point I'm trying to make though, is that you don't know who you're dealing with. It could be a guy next door, or it could be a person in Antarctica, or it could be a, uh, an enemy sitting in a uh, foreign country. Okay, you've got me really thinking now. So what happens, yeah. I mean, our National Health Service gets hacked from time to time. How does that stop? Data goes missing. Um, but there could be much worse things, couldn't there? There could be um, our friend in Moscow doing yes. all things. Yes. You know. uh, if I can, only because you said about data, I'm yeah. laughing because uh, if you know anything about the dark web, which is a whole different 
topic. It's a very complicated topic, but it's basically you can't get to it without knowing what you're doing. And you got to be able to come in with credentials like the old gangsters knocking on the door saying, Joe sent me. That's the only way into those type of uh, groups. But one of the things that's interesting is, is that there's so much data that is now being sold on the dark web that it's going for too cheap and they're looking for other sort of ways of making money, which is why you're seeing ransomware just absolutely exploding. And one of the things, uh, what I, I usually speak only to like boards and C-staff, and there are some reasons why. But one of the things that uh, I like to say is, is that when I've had a, a fellow who was the CIO of a Pennsylvania quarry, six, $60 million quarry, and they felt that their data was irrelevant. And the guy said to me, he says, we have old gear, it's not patched properly, but we don't care. We're not worried. The criminals don't want our data. And I said, you're absolutely right. They want three things. Number one, they want you or one of your, your people to click on something they shouldn't. And now you've got a ransomware event. Number two, what they wanna be able to do is use your site as a place by which they can um, mint Bitcoin, use your electricity, your cooling systems, et cetera, and just put that in the background and they go off and do this at thousands of sites and they're using your resources. But the third and the worst one is they wanna be able to use your site as a platform to launch to the next site. And so therefore your site is, a, is not on any kind of a blacklist, you're whitelisted. So therefore your address, if you will, is perfectly legitimate so that you can attack someone else, which they may have discovered is one of your competitors or one of your one of the uh, your customers and such. And if okay. they have a better, if they have a better cybersecurity organization and they call you and say, "Why are you attacking us?" Now you got a branding issue. Okay, let's. Uh, we better take this. We better make this a bit more simple. Okay, for the likes of me, not for the other intelligent people uh, on the program. Um, so you're saying everybody can get hacked like that and they'll click on it. Everyone's at risk. Um, uh, but let me ask you an even simpler question. I got this asked at a networking group that I chair last week. Is it um, dangerous to have Siri switched on all the time? And is it dangerous to have Alexa switched on all the time? I'm sorry to bring it back to basics. I want to bring it down and then. Oh, take no, no, I understand. And, and to answer your question, yes, it is dangerous to have that on. Most of us on this call, or and you can ask friends at a party, et cetera, have mentioned something to someone in the room, and then the next thing you know, you're getting, you're getting. Um, my wife happened to mention Aldous Huxley this morning, uh, and we were just surprised that it just happened to have a Google turned on, and that we got um, an invitation to buy an Aldous Huxley, uh, Huxley book, and so we quickly turned that back off. So yes that it, it's amazing. It's not necessarily for spying while it can be, but you are the product these days. So any sort of way of correlating data into information, knowledge, wisdom, and truth to be able to target you. Yes, absolutely. Turn that stuff off. I usually only turn it on when I'm using the barbecue for saying, uh, cook five minutes, please. Give me a, give me a timer. I actually, after our um, after our rehearsal uh, two weeks ago, I actually unplugged my uh, two Alexas and I put them uh, in a box. Uh, I don't yep. don't want that. Um, I would say these are really smart, intelligent people I was with last Wednesday night, and they said uh, they couldn't believe it. 
and I oh. think uh, they couldn't believe it. And uh, I sort of knew artificial intelligence was doing that, but not to that degree. Yes. Amazing. And I'm sure there'll be some questions in the chat box about about that in a, in a minute. But um, there'll be a few people missing because they'll be turning their Alexas off. Uh, off <laughs> now in case One would hope something happens. So let's go back to what's going on in Europe at the moment, Ukraine and Russia. Um, presumably Putin could turn the electric off, could he, if he wanted to, without yes. cutting the gas pipeline, he could turn all our electric off. Yeah, here's the here's the other one of the other characteristics about cybersecurity is is that when you use one of your cybersecurity bullets, it's gone. You can't reuse it. And I'm making that very very simple. A lot of people on this call probably heard of Stuxnet, which is uh, something where some individual uh, uh, countries, uh, presumably the United States and Israel, formed a um, group to be able to attack a plutonium uh, plutonium enrichment facility in Iran and they had to use these things called zero day I know I'm getting a little too much detail but use these bullets if you will that can only be used once because once you use them you can take countermeasures to be able to turn them off so Putin is not going to use any sort of cybersecurity bullets that he's got until he really really needs them Okay, so things like turning the pipeline off and things like that is... It's, it's how you get in to turn it off that requires the tricks. Okay, okay, all right. Well, I'm not sure we're going to go back to the heavy stuff. I'll leave, um, leave my colleagues to ask you that, but we'll get you back on that. Now, tell me, uh, in the Army, it must have been pretty scary. What was the scariest moment of your life? The scariest moment of my life was during Desert Storm, and I was with a uh, group this special forces group. And I, we had uh, Linux or Unix machines back then. And I was debugging a problem at the same time that we had an inbound SCUD attack. And um, I had to stop what I was doing, put on my gas mask. And I discovered my gas mask was not working properly. I had the wrong filters in it. And so therefore I had to take my gas mask off and just set it down and keep working. And I thought that was going to be the end of my life, but I was going to do my job until the last minute. And uh, so turns out uh, it did, the, the missile did not reach us. I'll leave it at that. Mm, okay. Okay. Well, I know you don't want to tell us too many things about that sort of thing because Alexa's listening. <laughs> um, we talk about cultures on this program quite a lot. So Kurt, and uh, we talk about different cultures. Uh, you and I discussed the difference between American cultures and European cultures, but uh, you told me that um, you were working for one of these banks and you bought a Spanish bank, and that was a total shock to your colleagues. Yes. At the time, I was with Morgan Stanley, and Morgan Stanley had purchased a bank in Spain, and we got a good team of, of gregarious, nice guys, and we flew into to Spain to be able to start asking questions about the recent procurement. And regardless of how nice people were, we did not do a good job of examining what the culture looks like. And all of the people just clammed up. They wouldn't tell us anything. And we later learned, once we earned their trust, that we had totally blown it. And that with the Spanish culture, you wanna be able to come in and, and spend the first two meetings just over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or dinner to be able to get to know each other before you dive into um, business. But of course, being New York and being 
uh, the, the financial sector, you just go right to brass tacks, bad plan. Hmm. And how did you, um, how did um, the bank cope with that? Or how did they get themselves out of that? Uh, by saying mea copa an awful lot and yeah. uh, being, being um, much more respective of in, in the future. And um, what are you doing now? So you're in the private sector, which must be a bit of a shock to you, not working for a big bad bank or a, a very structured army. Um, yes. And you're becoming a professional speaker. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, what I'm doing right now, two years, it's now three years, I uh, resigned from Bank of America and uh, struck out on my own doing, uh, doing private consulting, immediately was picked up by a company, I can't give you the name, it, was, uh, it is a company in California, which is a government contractor, and they have been breached, and they did not have a cybersecurity program, so I spent the last two years until March be working remote, building a program for this company, $500 million company to be able to put that program in place. And um, simultaneously, I've been working on doing public speaking with the National um, Speakers Association. And as I like to joke, there's two different NSAs, the one speaks, the other listens. So, mm -hmm. And I recently moved from the New York area to, from, to Philadelphia back in March. So since that time, I've been working on doing some limited consulting, but I'm much more focused on trying to get everything painted and uh, get the furniture rearranged. I think us Brits are amazed how much uh, you Americans uh, transfer, move across the country miles away where you have to get on a plane to go anywhere. Uh, it's out of our uh, comprehension, really. Um, yes. But uh, we've got a few, two or three questions on the chat box I'm going to ask you, uh, Kurt, and then uh, we're going to I'll, I'll close the recording. And if you'll stay on, that would be fantastic. Certainly. Um, from Nigel, who works at the University of Essex, say female students have in the past asked if their web cameras could be hacked. Yes, yes. Uh, the reason I, I laughed is, is that I'm going to take a step back and tell you, and you can go find out and see that this is not... An exaggeration. At one point in time, many, many years ago, pre-internet, the CIA was able to get phones, telephones, to be able to turn on and they could listen to individuals speaking in the room. It's the same sort of thing. Once you're able to, to breach an operating system, you can, you can do anything you want with any of the devices. And we'll just leave it at that. It's um, anybody who has seen the movie Ocean's Eleven, um, it, it, it's, it's a movie that, uh, where, where some people breach a, a vault in, in a casino and basically they play back on the security systems tapes that say, everything's fine. Uh, we're not doing anything wrong. It's the same sort of thing. You can tell the computer that, um, um, everything's fine and your camera is off and a little light is not on. So yes, it can be done. How worried it, should it um... happen every day? No, but can it be done? Yes. You hear a lot, particularly about women who, who are being uh, stalked these days. And um, that would be quite worrying, wouldn't it, actually? Yes. Um, for anyone yes. being stalked. Is that something people should worry about when they're dating on Tinder and some of these apps? I mean, there's some obvious risks, but we can't get totally paranoid about life. Yes, you can. And you should be. And in fact, what I do is I always, when I'm using, like right now I'm using a 35 millimeter camera, but when I'm using my laptop, 
um, one of these sits over the the uh, the camera because I just don't trust it. I'm just going to be safe, and it doesn't matter whom I'm talking to. Well, Nigel Kirby, you better not be telling your students too much about that, or you won't have any students. But we'll bring you in bring you in later. Um, here's one from Carl Walsh in California with the U.S. power grid being a mishmash of private, public-owned mini-grids with no one in control, is there uh, any motion towards forming national security, I guess, uh, power uh, function? Yeah, this one's a little complicated. Uh, they're called SCADA systems that uh, connect all the, the grid together and, and uh, whatnot. And quite frankly, to be blunt, and everybody knows this, it's not up to where it should be. Uh, but it, they're, they're working on it. And the reason I say this is a complicated topic, there's, there's a group um, called the ISEC. And uh, the ISEC stands for an intelligence group run by the government, and it, it forms in different sectors. I've been part of the national defense and a part of the financial um, sector, ISECs, and you trade information. Well, the, the power system has an ISEC as well, and they're forming a coalition to be able to get things tighter and tighter. But a breach on one is a breach onto all. So it, it's, in my humble opinion, and I don't want to get in trouble for saying this, I think it still has a long way to go. Well, we are, are still some, I beg your pardon? I say we are on record, so be careful what you say, and Alexa and Syria are watching you everywhere. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. A uh, couple of last questions. Um, uh, two from John Lisby, I want to ask you, could we wipe out Putin's systems totally? That's the first one. This is my opinion, correct? Yeah, I, I, I believe we could. I really believe we could. Um, I think one of the things that we've seen since Russia invaded Ukraine was the fact that the strength of the Russian army is, is very wanting. And I've, I've heard it described as a third world um, because of the corruption, primarily because of the corruption. I think that's probably the same sort of issues. And there's probably lots of holes. Uh, we have, we, I'm going I'm to be very careful. I wouldn't doubt we have actually bought some holes. <laughs> I mean, think about that. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to, to say that uh, it's, it's easier to be able to buy your way in if you're an organization's, um, I don't care which government, uh, it's easier to buy your way in than it is to uh, fight your way in, so. Okay, Kurt. Uh, we're nearly out of time now on the recording. One last tip for all of us on here who are, might be a bit worried about what you've said, but what what would be the low hanging fruit, fruit, the simplest thing to do to protect ourselves? Um, There's no, I'm glad you asked that question. The most, the lowest fruit and the thing I tell everyone is just go out and get yourself what's called a password manager, or it's also known as a vault. And uh, the one, I'm not recommending it. I just, I, I use it. It's called LastPass. There are about 15 to 20 of them out there. Zoho has one. And you can go find one that you like, but they cost you $50 a year. They obfuscate your, your, your passwords so that you, you could never remember them. It's all hash signs and exclamation points. And it just squirts it in for you. And is, it works on behalf of you as a human. And uh, while everyone always says to me, 
well, what if they get breached? Yeah, that can happen. That can absolutely happen. But they've got huge staffs of cybersecurity people to prevent that sort of thing. And the other thing I like to say is you do banking online and you trust your bank. Uh, why don't you trust using some sort of security software that manages your passwords? Okay. Actually, That's number well, one. Well, I'm going to ask you another question, but I don't know if you've finished, but I mean, I do my banking. I do my banking on this phone. It recognizes my face and I'm in. Is okay. That, is that safe? Facial recognition is good for identifying humans. It's not one of the top methods for um, uh, what's called multi-factor authentication. Uh, you can it, you can trick it with 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 photos and 3D printing, and uh, uh, we'll leave it at that. But it's better. My stars, it's better than uh, not using multi-factor. The, the more, the merrier. I make my wife crazy. Okay, well, Kurt, Kurt Vincent, thank you so much for joining Monday Night Live. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's early in the morning or it's lunchtime in uh, Philadelphia. And can I ask uh, members of Monday Night Live to give Kurt the usual vote of thanks uh, on behalf of ourselves? Thanks, Kurt, and thanks for joining us. If you're watching this on YouTube and uh, listening to this on the Negotiators podcast, some real food for thought from Kurt there. The things that I thought I needn't worry about, I think I need to start thinking about and maybe thinking about LastPass. Um, thanks, Kurt. We hope you will join us again in a little while's time when we'll have some more questions for you. Thanks very much indeed.